For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Today, I'll be joined by Allie Bloyd, and we'll explore how to use Facebook ads for a local business. You're going to want to check it out. By the way, I've got some other exciting news. If you haven't heard, we've gone all in on YouTube. We are publishing two times a week, original content exclusively on YouTube. And this is not boring content like you might see on other channels. And it's not the journey, which is what we've done in the past. Those days are behind us. Instead, we've got brand new content, all tactical, all how-to, and all focused around social media marketing. You can check it out and subscribe by visiting socialmediaexaminer.com slash sub. And what that'll do is pop up a little thing that'll ask you to subscribe and be sure to hit the bell so you get email notifications whenever our content goes live. Again, socialmediaexaminer.com slash sub. By the way, if you want to reach me on Instagram, I'm at Stelzner, or you can email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. And now for this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in the social jungle. Here is this week's survival tip. This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found a cool tool that lets you check to see how many spam people are following you on Twitter. And are they really people? (laughs) They're not. They might be bots too. I don't know. But anyway, the tool is called Circle Boom, and it's not the only thing it does. However, I found it because it was recommended as an app to check and see how many people that are following you are spammers or bots or just not good characters on Twitter. And my thought was, you know what, I'm going to check because if those people are people that I don't want my stuff fed to because they're spammers and they're taking up, you know, potential algorithmic juice that it could be shown to somebody else, why not force them to unfollow me? By doing what? By unfollowing them? Well, you can block them. You can phase them out of your following. You can sever the follower. How in the world does this thing analyze who and who is not a spammer? Yeah, that is one of the the biggest questions I had to it. And what it was is what their explanation was, was that they go through and they look to see based on different criteria in terms of, you know, people that are doing nefarious things or they're tweeting a lot and it's like link after link after link. Like it's just constant, you know, noise, in other words. And they break it all down. I didn't want to go through all of that. But what I can say is that it said to me, congrats, all your friends are decent people. It seems no one is a fake or spammer on your following list. So that was good. The people that I'm following, 
And then as far as people that uh, are following me, I didn't have a whole lot of inactives. That's there cool. were some people that were like, this person hasn't tweeted in more than 30 days. And I was like, well, that's fine, whatever. So Cool. So what is it exactly? A website, an app? Do you have to give yeah, it it, access to your account? How does that all work? Yeah. So the way that this works is, is you just you go to circleboom.com and then you click on the Twitter analytics tool that's free. And what it does is then it asks you to authorize with your Twitter account. And so I said, okay, I'll take a chance and do that. And then it did an analyzing of my account, took maybe 10, 15 seconds. And then it pops up with a dashboard and starts to give me all these different things. So for example, it said, for example, like I said earlier, it said, congratulations, the people you're following are not spammers. So that was good to hear because I'm pretty picky. It gave me a list of, here are 73 accounts that are talking too much. (laughs) Consider unfollowing. I'm like, okay, hold on. So I clicked the button to dive into there and it started to show me a list of those people. But then as I was looking through the list, I could see oh, those people are people who talk to other people a lot. So they're using it correctly. So it's not a false positive, but yeah. So what's the cost? Where do we find this thing? So it's a free tool. It's part of a suite of tools that Circle Boom has. And this is one of those ones where, you know, they they let you have a free tool in hopes that you'll check out their other ones. But you can find them at circleboom.com. Awesome, Eric. Thank you so much for that brand new find. You're welcome. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. And now for my interview with Allie Bloyd. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm excited to be joined by Allie Bloyd. If you don't know who Allie is, she is a Facebook ads expert who specializes in helping local businesses. She's the founder of Allie Bloyd Media, a local business agency, and her course is called Remodel Your Marketing. Allie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Today, Allie and I are going to explore what local businesses need to know about Facebook ads. So before we go there, I would love to hear your story, Allie. How in the world did you get into Facebook ads? All right. So honestly, I always knew that I wanted to be in marketing in some capacity. I actually had this business idea when I was about 19 years old, uh, kind of a turning point in my life that made me go down the graphic design and marketing track. I'd always been a writer. So coming up with catchy slogans and taglines was always my thing. So it just seemed like a really good fit for me. So as I went through school, I ended up getting an internship at a publishing house that specialized in local business trade publications. So as I went through the internship, I ended up getting a full-time job there and the opportunity to create a new trade magazine arose. So Mm. that kind of became something that I spearheaded. So I was doing the writing, the design, the ad sales, the ad design, basically whatever it was I was dealing with it. And it was awesome because they were really focused on education, marketing, finance, technology, management, sales, all of those core areas that local businesses really need to be keeping up with or learning about in order to be successful. So as I started doing that, first of all, I just loved actually running a business and and doing sales and marketing, but I really learned through the content and speaking to the different people that I'd speak to regarding the magazine 
the different challenges that local businesses actually faced and worrying about their foot traffic, worrying about the leads that were coming in, not knowing how to manage their marketing and technology as things were changing. So it was really eye-opening and a very exciting experience. But um, eventually that became not the best fit for me. So I ended up becoming the marketing director for two different larger local home remodeling companies. One of them was only service-based. One of them was a retailer as well as a service provider. So when I got into that position, they were a great business. I mean, they were doing several million dollars a year, but they did not really have any type of marketing strategy outside of their TV advertising. Just real quick, uh, how long ago? What year is this approximately? This was 2015. Okay, perfect. Keep going. Yeah. So they didn't really have anything on the digital side. You know, they had a Facebook page, they had a website, they had some people on their email list, but none of those assets were really being utilized. They were just doing their TV advertising and, you know, tracking their foot traffic. So when I came in, it was really my job to overhaul everything. We gave them, you know, a new website, updated all of their different social profiles. And I was a writer, like I love to do all of those things. So coming up with blog content and video content and really trying to put out very educational social media marketing posts. And that was a time where you could actually still get some pretty good traction organically. So we did see some good results before we ever put any money into it. But that was also about the time when everything really changed to where you could not get much organically. And we knew that we, you know, we've already seen good results. We've seen people uh, giving us really good feedback in our community. So we wanted to keep that going. And that's really where my journey to master Facebook ads began. I wanted to try and drive foot traffic to this local retailer and also drive leads uh, to the service side of their business. So really doing both of those different segments gave me a great understanding of the way that most local businesses work. They're either service-based or they're, you know, retail and product-based or have some sort of physical location. So going through that, I mean, man, we learned a lot. We started off spending, you know, one to $2,000 a month. Then we increased it to three or four, then five to six, seven to eight. And we really just continued to see this enormous return on investment with what we were doing. And the most important thing, at least in my opinion, outside of the financial returns was we were really building a name for ourselves in the community. We were getting tons of messages and comments lots of engagement, and our audience was actually telling us what they liked best or what they wanted to see more of, which I thought was just such a unique aspect of social media marketing. I mean, you can't do that with TV. You have no idea outside of a focus group what people actually think of your marketing. So being able to see that and get that response from the local community was amazing. And I just fell in love with it. So it's really been my main focus. And to this day, just helping local businesses with strong educational content mixed with the paid advertising has just been a real passion for me. So when did you start your own business? I started my business a year ago. So I actually still get to work with that company to this day, which is awesome. It's a great business. Uh, But now I'm actually able to help more local businesses, which I love. Perfect. All right. So thank you for that story. So one of the first questions I want to ask you is, For all the local businesses that are listening right now, why Facebook ads? Why should they pay attention to maybe doing more with paid advertising on Facebook? So great question. There are several reasons why businesses need to get on board. Number one, 
people are on Facebook and Instagram. There's no way around it. The people are there. Over time, traditional marketing has been losing the effectiveness, and it's also been increasing in cost over the last five years. So I still believe in you know offline marketing as well, but it is going to cost you a lot more to get into those types of advertising than it will for you to start with something like digital. You're able to get in at a lower price point, basically start with what you can afford and try and see what happens for you. The second thing is that it can drive foot traffic and it can also generate leads, those two different segments of local businesses. And it's also going to bring you a huge return on investment if you're doing it the right way. And a little bit like I mentioned before, you are developing a relationship with your audience and your community. And if you're a local business, you live there. Everyone around you, you want them to know who you are. You want them to refer you to their sister, their brother, their mother, their friend. It goes so much beyond simply who responds to your ad right here and now. You're actually able to develop this brand awareness where the results will trickle in long term. You want to get those phone calls. You want to get people saying, hey, I keep seeing you all over Facebook. Those are the things that you can do. And especially Especially, you're able to use the content you put out on social media to establish trust, build credibility, and again, really try and help your audience as opposed to just sell to them. And I think that's really what makes it different than things like Google ads or TV advertising or even direct mail. It's There's an education and a value-based approach that you can do with social that you can't do very well in a lot of other platforms. So let's talk about what you actually can do with Facebook ads for local businesses. What are what are the options? So in terms of targeting, uh, that's definitely one of the first places to start. So it is quite a bit different than what you might start with, with a large e-commerce business or a business that's got this reach across the U.S. or across the world. So the first thing that I usually do is try and set up a few different segments of cold audiences. So by cold audiences, these are people who likely don't know you, have never heard of you, they haven't engaged with you. So we want to start by identifying, okay, are there certain areas of my city where my ideal client is most likely to reside? Some businesses, that's not really a factor. But for a lot of them, especially if it's something with a higher price, there are usually sections of your city that are going to be more likely to have your ideal client. So really getting specific about where those places are is really important. You know, in a big city like San Diego, we've got all these little subdivisions, for lack of a better word. And they're not even technically cities. They're just kind of like communities. Can you do that kind of level targeting or do you need to know the zip code or how do you actually get to those areas of a city? So that's a great question. Um, we're not able to do zip code targeting like we used to. And if you just plug in a city, more than likely for most businesses, the radius is going to be more than you actually need. You're also going to be hitting these areas that are not filled with your ideal client. So what I have started doing in the last year or so as the different targeting options have changed is to start building a target area audience full of specific addresses or pin drops. So you would go where you're creating your audience and you can either drop a pin on a map which I believe lets you go as low as five miles. If you put in an address 
then you can do as low as one mile. So it's like so, a radius around that address. Is yes, that the idea? Exactly. So one mile radius is a fairly tight area. So you're able to build an audience of lots of different pin drops or addresses. And so I'll have some that are full of 10 different specific locations with maybe a one to two mile radius. And obviously that's going to vary depending on, you know, the makeup your, of your city. Um, I do have some people that were able to do a 30, 40, 50 mile radius and that works for us. But if you have really specific areas of people you can sell to, then this is going to be a great way for you to start. You can also exclude areas in that same exact way. Hmm. So a lot of cities, they have these maybe lower income areas right next to really high end areas. And if you want to avoid wasting any of your ad dollars on people who aren't the right fit for your product or service, you can go ahead and try and exclude some of those areas as well down to that one mile radius. So sometimes, you know, that's not needed and sometimes it is, it really kind of depends, but getting that target area nailed down is going to be your best bet and actually seeing the best results early on. You wouldn't believe how many times people have, you know, not really taken the time to think about that. Maybe they will say, okay, let's just do a 30 mile radius. And then as we get in there and we start to see these different results, they realize that the areas where these results are coming in are not a good fit for them. So ultimately, even though they've gotten a quote unquote result, it's not really worth anything to them. So if, you know, they've lost their ad dollars in right. a sense. So if you want to make the most out of those, getting that location targeting is very, very important. And then the next thing you can do is simply look at age and gender. Those are things that some businesses, again, it's not a factor to you, but location, age, and gender, those are kind of our highest level targeting options. And for a lot of people, you are going to see maybe 75% females coming into your business. So it doesn't mean you have to exclude males. I typically like to try and market to those two different groups differently. So if I'm doing something that I feel is going to resonate better with females, I don't want to waste my money targeting males with that specific ad. If I feel like I can come up with something that's going to fit those people better. Right. So those three things, usually, you know, you're going to get so much more granular if you're doing e-commerce, but in a, in a city, you know, depending on the size, you don't want to eliminate too many people too quickly by getting really granular in your targeting. So I always like to start with a more broad, cold audience for their geographic location, their gender, and their age. Sometimes we might layer in, are they married? Do they have children? I know a lot of businesses, those two things, maybe it's not the reason that they work with that business, but you know, a large portion of their customers, they might be families or they might be married. So those are some good ones as well. Yeah. Like and if then, you're a private school or something like that, or a nursery or something like that, right? Like, uh, yeah, exactly. And then I would imagine like, if you're like a barber shop, then you might just want to target guys, right? Yes, absolutely. So understanding who your customer is and where they're going to be is super important. Again, if you're a business that focuses on foot traffic, I mean, foot traffic is going to come from a pretty tight radius around your physical location. Not to say that other areas don't travel to where you are, but spend the bulk of your money on people who are actually going to be able to, to be where you are at the end of the day. Okay. Uh, question. Can you actually, and I don't know if Facebook is as smart, they might be, I'm assuming they probably are, but can you say you want to target everybody who comes into your physical business or anybody who's like someone who's come into your physical business? Because you know, Facebook's tracking you everywhere, right? I mean, is that an option or no? 
So it's an option for certain businesses. I've actually been checking on this for a long time and it's still in the testing phase and they have not rolled it out to most businesses. So I would assume some of your huge retailers, they're able to start using that. But what you can do is you can do a one mile radius and you can go to people who have recently visited this location. So a lot of times you're going to be looking for people who live in this location. But if you want to see, okay, like maybe this is a shopping mall that is frequented by a lot of people in my demographic. Well, you can target that place and the people who have visited there. So that's definitely another great option for you. And that might work really well if it happens to be a place where there's a lot of employees who come to work and then shop during their lunch break or something like that, right? Yeah, definitely. They might not live there, but they could be there, right? Mm -hmm. You want to know for a lot of businesses where people spend their time, especially if you are commuting, a lot of people spend more time outside of their home than they do in their home. So really try and think about that. Are we looking for people who visit certain places or are we looking for people who live in certain places? So that's definitely a great one to pay attention to. You can do your interest targeting as well. Yeah. Talk to us about that. So your interest targeting, again, for some businesses might be more important than others. If you're in a really small town, don't get too bogged down by the interest targeting yet. Start with your more broad, cold audiences and see what types of results that you're finding. You really want to think about, in my opinion, not just the types of interests that would identify someone who might like your exact product or service, but interests that identify them as the right type of person that might like your product or service. So for instance, if this is a home improvement retailer or a kitchen and bath shop, you could go for people who like Home Depot or Lowe's. But If your target is a woman, you might try something like Pottery Barn or Williams-Sonoma or Pier 1 Imports, you know, these places that sell things complementary to what you're offering and something that identifies this woman is interested in home decor. She most likely has a home and, you know, this is the type of person that's spending money on their home. There's someone I probably want to reach. So I've had good success uh, doing that type of targeting. But of course, you can also have the same types of options that an e-commerce business would have. So looking at public figures or influencers that are in your space. So if you're a yoga studio, maybe look looking up some of the top online yoga teachers or different fitness clothing brands or health food brands, something that doesn't necessarily say I like yoga, but it says I like the things that a lot of my clients are interested in. Therefore, they probably have a better chance of being interested in what I'm able to provide for them. So for example, back to that home improvement thing, If you could say interested in Chip and Joanna Gaines from Fixer Upper, right, and happen to live in my city, just because that's a big show that was popular on HGTV, I would imagine that might show that they're into interior design or something along those lines. Is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. So I've tested those actually with that specific example. The reason I feel like maybe that one hasn't been the best performer is that they are a little bit broad. So they could appeal to people who don't own a home and that maybe love to watch people doing home improvement. Uh, I see what you're saying. But 
you know, they may not have the finances or really the desire to go ahead and do it themselves. So it can be kind of a double-edged sword, but that's why I feel like the best interests are not the most specific interest. Like I've had people who say, okay, we're going to choose the remodeling interest. Well, in all honesty, remodeling is an interest for some people, but my interest in remodeling has no indication of whether I'm planning to remodel in the future. Hmm. Um, you are going to find more people that have these interests that kind of coincide with what you do rather than telling Facebook, this is exactly what I'm interested in. So it's definitely something you just really need to think about. You need to understand your audience, where they shop, even where they eat, these different locations in your area different news stations and different media outlets in your area can also be great interest targeting because a lot of times different stations have different demographics. A lot of times people who watch the news are on average more educated or have higher income. So if that's the kind of person you're looking for, those could be really good audience targeting for you. And then one other that a lot of people don't even think of is where someone is employed. Hmm. So this was about a year ago. So I don't even think this is probably still available to do with real estate, but I was helping someone try and sell some high-end luxury condos. And this was in a very specific part of their town. This part of town had a lot of jobs and employers that have high incomes. So pilots, there was an airport nearby. There are a lot of hospitals nearby. So doctors, nurse practitioners, people like that. Targeting people who list those things as their jobs could also be a great indication. Mm. And there's no real reason why that person might prefer this condo over someone else. But it does say, I probably have the money to afford what it is you're trying to sell me. So, you know, having an interest in one thing and liking something is on one side of it, but actually having the desire or the financial means to purchase it is totally different. So really try and think about those two different things, not just what someone might say they like, but kind of like do their actions line up with the actions of my potential clients. What do you see some of the biggest mistakes that businesses are making local businesses when it comes to their Facebook ads? So I definitely see several. Number one is that they're not even attempting to do that. Uh, there is a lot of opportunity. So not trying is a big mistake in and of itself. The second thing would be that they're not willing to invest enough money in it to actually test and see those tangible results. So if you're only willing to spend $10 a day, for some businesses, that can be enough. But for other businesses, your cost per lead or cost per acquisition, it's going to be much higher than that. So by not giving yourself enough budget, you may actually be killing the campaign before it ever begins because you're not giving it what it needs to reach the right people, to test, to let you see, is this creative working better than this? Is this copy working? Is this audience working? When we start doing campaigns, just like anyone that's, you know, running ads, whether it's e-commerce or local, you want to test things. Even in markets where it's proven, I've found that the same ads don't always work the same way in every market. So you've got to test the audience, you've got to test the creative, and you've got to test the copy. And 
it takes money if you want to test multiple things at once. So that's definitely a big problem that I've seen. I think I know where you were going, not giving it enough time. But let me just say this, folks. This is not just a mistake that local businesses make. A lot of businesses, they don't understand when you start a campaign, you're running a lot of tests and experiments, many of which hopefully you can quickly say aren't going to work so you can find the ones that will work, right? So you're going to be spending a little bit more money in the beginning to save you money down the road. Isn't that true? Absolutely. So keep going um, with where you were going there. Yeah. And I, I just want to reiterate that point one more time. Uh, you are going to spend more money in the first couple of months. And just like you said, it's to save you money long term by not spending it on ads that aren't going to produce as well. And you want to give it enough time, just like any marketing medium. You cannot always see results overnight, especially when you're in those testing periods. You want to give it enough money, time, and effort to see if this is going to work for you. Finally, not having the right strategy or really understanding what your goals are can be a huge problem. For instance, I have noticed that a lot of local businesses, they ignore or don't put a lot of value on growing their email list. And I see this as a big problem because even though we have these amazing platforms to help us advertise, email is still one of the only assets you actually own. So if you're not spending time and money to try and grow your email list, you're missing out on this free, basically free marketing opportunity over here on the side. So if growing your email list is your goal, then it's a lot easier to understand, is this working or is this not working? If foot traffic is your goal, then if you're tracking your foot traffic within your store, then it's fairly easy. But that's also a problem. Some businesses aren't even tracking their foot traffic. So if you say your foot traffic's the goal and you're just kind of eyeballing it, you may not actually really understand if it's producing results. And then tracking the leads that are coming in, making sure that you have a really good system to see which ads are producing these leads. Are the leads actually turning into customers? So if you take a look at a lot of different types of campaigns, you may see some that have a lower cost per lead. Well, at the end of the day, depending on the business, the ads that produce the lowest cost per lead don't always produce the paying customers. And that disconnect can really make or break your success long term. Because if you're constantly chasing this lowest cost per lead without looking at the quality and who ends up becoming a customer or a long-term customer, then you could actually shut off ads and never run them again that were producing the very best opportunities for revenue in your business. So definitely something that needs to be tracked, just understanding if what you're doing is actually working. Um, and to do that, you need to know what it is that your goals are. So I would say those are the main mistakes I see as as well as just simply selling and not providing value and strong content for their audience. Perfect transition to my next question, which is how do we actually use content on Facebook in our ads to generate leads if the goal is maybe to get more email addresses and to cultivate that kind of loyal following? Absolutely. There are so many great ways to do this. I think that there's three that really need to be talked about. So number one is video. I think most of us know by now that video is probably the most consumed medium at the moment. People, they have short attention span. They are going to be willing to watch more of a video typically than to read maybe a long post. So, you know, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if that's the case, then a video is worth a book because you can get 
so much more of your message out in a shorter period of time with video. It also is a great way to segment your audience and kind of pre-qualify them. So if you have really strong, educational, useful content about the products or services or the industry that you're in, if someone watches that video, they've identified to you that they have some type of interest or that on some level, they're the right type of person to be showing your future ads to. So being able to retarget those people is an amazing opportunity. But what I found is someone may feel like, oh, we need to do a video. So we're just going to do a funny video that kind of has nothing to do with what they're actually selling. And retargeting that video is basically worthless in my opinion, because anyone could have watched that. You know, back to our home improvement example, if I'm someone who's selling kitchen remodeling and I put out a video on, you know, what are the pros and cons to each countertop type mm. or how to, you know, put together a budget for a kitchen remodel. No one is watching that video that doesn't have an interest on it in, you know, on some level. They may not be ready to do it today, but likely they do have a home because people who rent aren't even able to change those things. So it, it really narrows down your audience in that way. But it also just shows what are they interested in? And if they're willing to sit through a large portion of this video, they have a strong interest. So let's educate them. Let's build that trust, build that credibility, and let's retarget them. And a lot of times those ads themselves will produce a lot of really high quality leads, but then the leads that you're able to produce from those retargeting campaigns are going to be a lot more effective. Okay. Let's break this down. Let's say the example of the countertops, right? Let's say mm -hmm. uh, you put a video together, like how to, uh, how to pick out your next countertop and you go through like, you know, butcher block versus, you know, granite versus stainless steel or whatever the options are these days. Right. And you kind of talk about the pros and cons of them all. Is that the whole video or is, is there something at the very end to get them to click or, you know, what do we do with that video? I would always recommend a call to action at the end. There's really no reason not to, as long as your video is full of value and not constantly selling to them, then I think you've earned the right to give them a way to take the next steps. And especially if somebody's made it to the end of the video, they probably are interested enough that they want to take a next step or at least know how they can do it. So I always would say, no matter what you're doing with your content, do some sort of call to action. It may not be to, you know, sign up for a consultation or, you know, buy this product, but at the very least ask them for engagement or ask them to do something and you're not going to get everyone to take you up on it. And like that's in, the, okay. in the comments, we'll ask, answer any questions you have about countertops could be an example, right? Absolutely. Yes. And you'd be surprised at how many people will comment all of their questions on those types of videos. You're also going to see people that are tagging friends and family, which is really exciting because you know that if someone tagged them, that person has already like expressed interest in what it is that you're talking about. So those people are just going to be some of your best viewers because they've already been technically referred by a friend or family. It's an internet referral. And I think we all know that referrals are some of the strongest types of leads or customers that we can bring in because there is that trust that's already established. So are you also uh, saying like anybody who's watched more than a 50% of it or whatever, follow up with another ad the next day or something that specifically pitches you know, hey, we specialize in remodeling. If you're looking for someone to help you find a new kitchen counter, check us out. Is that kind of the next step? 
Yes. So I do a couple of different things. If there is a local business that has several different services or product categories, you're going to want to have videos for each of those because more often than not, the person that's interested in one of them may not be interested in all of them. So being able to segment your audience based on which videos they watch is important. So then you can have your follow-up ads that are specific to that category of that video and give them the best next step. We also just are going to retarget a lot of our engagement audience, because if you're doing a good job of putting out engaging posts, engaging videos, and engaging blogs, you're going to have a really strong overall Facebook engagement audience. And that can be the source of your absolute best leads or best customers and lowest cost. They also come a lot more consistently. So if you're leaving, you know, the end of the trail at the video, you're still going to see results, but you're not going to see nearly the results that you could if you have that second level of retargeting. And then you can even go further to have a third level of retargeting. Okay. So we've talked about the video. You said there was a couple other things in addition to the video. Yeah, I think that blogs are still extremely relevant today. And a lot of times you'll see businesses that maybe they are blogging, but they never put their blogs on Facebook. Uh, They never mention them in social media. They don't promote them. So blogs are very similar to the video strategy we just talked about. If you've got a blog that is really targeted at a product or service that you sell, not advertising it, but a solution for someone who would be looking for what you have to offer, then simply the fact that they click on your blog is an indication of interest. Even if they don't read the content, which social media does have a higher bounce rate for things like blogs, and that's okay. You know, the goal doesn't have to be to make sure everyone reads to the end. It's great when they do, we want them to. But even if they don't, the simple fact that they took that action to try and learn more about your topic shows that they have interest in it. So we're going to retarget those people the same way that we would with our videos, uh, just based on this URL that they're going to. You can also include lead generation boxes or, you know, boxes to collect email addresses throughout your blog. I usually do one after the first few paragraphs and then one at the very bottom. For those people who don't read all the way to the bottom, I still want to give them that opportunity to take the next step. So some people love to read and some people hate to read. Some people love to watch video. Some people hate to watch video. If you're only doing one of those things, you're likely missing out on a large portion of your audience and you want to give people the information in the format that they prefer best. And you never really know what that format's going to be. So you can even take the same exact topic have one video, transcribe it even into a blog so you don't have to spend a ton of time rewriting this and then put it both out there to let your audience decide what works best for them. We probably should state, you know, if you have a blog and people are coming to your articles, they're not just coming to your articles necessarily from your Facebook ad. They could be coming from any possible route. They could be coming through an RSS feed. They could be coming from Google search. But the good news is you can still remarket to them on Facebook just by tracking the people that read the blog, regardless of where they came from. Do you recommend doing that as well? Absolutely. I mean, that is the great thing about blogging is that you can still get great organic traffic. I know a lot of people think it's just impossible to get organic traffic these days, but I've had blogs that I've written for clients that still are at the top of search results. uh, And it's been quite a bit of time still driving a large amount of traffic. You know, the, the thing about local business blogging is that 
you're going to get people that come to those blogs from all over. You don't have a control over whether they're actually someone who could be a potential client, but by retargeting them and using your specific area, which I'd suggest going a little bit more broad on that location, you are going to be able to pull those people back in that did show interest. So there are so many benefits to blogging. And again, building education, building trust, building credibility and showing people you really care about their experience and you want to really do something that's going to provide value to them. So we talked about video, we talked about blogs. I think you mentioned you had a third one. Yes. So educational events. I'm just definitely on the education train, but I've just seen it work so well. And most businesses don't take advantage of this. You're in a local community. There are people who want to connect with you in person. We are such a digital society in so many ways, but you can use digital to leverage in-person connections. The absolute best leads or potential clients that I think I've ever seen have come from educational events or demonstrations because this person, first of all, it's a great offer. You know, I've, I've seen a lot of businesses that struggle to come up with a really compelling offer and an event can be an amazing offer. Give us an example of maybe one that you've experienced just because some people might be like, how in the world am I going to create an educational event? <laughs> yeah. So I'll give, I'll give a couple. So you could do a kitchen and bath university for remodelers. You could do a small business productivity workshop for an IT company. You could do a healthy cooking demonstration if you're a gym or a fitness studio. Mm. So you just have to understand again, kind of those topics that are very relevant to either your specific business or the things that your audience is going to be interested in. So if you're a gym, you're not necessarily going to be showing someone how to work out. You know, of course you can do demonstrations and things like that, but you know that your audience is interested in health and doing something like cooking and healthy eating that complements what you do, which is focus on exercise, is going to be a great way to not only bring the customers that you already have back in the door. I think we all know that, you know, a lot of times people, especially with memberships, they will get excited in the beginning and then they'll lose interest, which means eventually they're probably going to cancel. You want to keep those customers that you do have engaged. And you also want to find a reason to bring new people through your door so that they get this face-to-face -face connection with you. They see that you are indeed focused on helping them achieve their goals. And you don't have to hard sell or anything, but you can definitely make an offer at the end of these events and get a lot of people to sign up for that next step right then and there. And even the people that don't sign up, you've planted that seed. You've made the connection. I've seen that people, again, will refer these events to their family and friends if they have a great experience because they want to tell people about it. Even if you're just saying, hey, what'd you do last Saturday? you know what? I went to this amazing cooking demonstration. You have to check it out. It's at that new fitness studio. So it becomes a conversation topic and sometimes just a thing for people to do to get out of the house, but ultimately it can lead to a new customer for you. So it's a, it's a great way to develop those relationships and generate sales at the same time. Are you using a Facebook event to get people to RSVP and, and or are you doing it in a different way? So we always set up an event, of course, but I have actually not seen that promoting the event has been the most effective way to drive registrations. A lot of times people simply clicking that they're interested. I, I want more than that. I want 
contact information, a way to touch base with them and remind them. So we'll usually do two different types of registration. One through Facebook Messenger and a chatbot, which has actually been extremely successful. And then we'll also do a landing page as well. So giving people multiple options to sign up. And I think the reason that Facebook Messenger was really successful is because it not only gave us the ability to email them or call them to remind them of the event, but also to remind them through Messenger. So you're just giving people one additional touch point. Um, you could have a lot of people sign up for your event, but if your follow-up is not strong, you're not going to get as many people through the door on the day of. So, you know, the event itself is important. Driving registrations is really important, but more than anything, you want to maximize the registrations that you got. Otherwise it's not completely lost. You still got their information and you can still email market to them and things like that. But Give them a call the week of the event. Do uh, text messages to remind them. Send a Facebook Messenger reminder. And then just really see how many people are going to come in. Because I think like all of us, you know, we forget we could be really interested in something. And life happens. We get busy. We're not worried about it. But if you can make a point to have those email sequences going before and after the event, uh, maybe a face uh, chatbot sequence that goes, whatever it may be, just don't let their registration be the end of the road in terms of thinking that you've got them through the door because it's only the beginning. Have you ever done lead ads where you're just capturing it right within Facebook instead of sending them offsite? Because you know, obviously messenger, the messenger thing can get kind of complicated or do you generally like the most simplistic thing would be to use like, I don't know, whatever the standard, you know, meeting platform is. Uh, I forget what they are, eBright or whatever, you know? Yeah, no, you can definitely put your event on those different sites, which you will get people that come from those. Sometimes they won't sign up or register and they'll just show up, especially if it's a free one, but that's totally fine. We've even had like local media stations pick up the event because they've seen them on sites like that, hmm. which has also driven more people in. But in reference to the lead ads, so yes, I have done lead ads and I do them for several different scenarios. I think the biggest thing that people get wrong with lead ads is they only ask for name, email, and phone number, and they're doing a high volume form. So there's a, a major difference between high volume and high intent forms on Facebook lead ads. So when we click on those, the information is going to be auto-filled and your email and your phone number could both be incorrect. Not always, but you do see it happen a good bit of the time. So if you only have a high volume form, they literally could register in two clicks. And while that sounds like a really good user experience, and you know, it can be, you also are going to get a lot of people that aren't really serious. Um, you're going to get people that have provided you with bad contact information. So they're not going to get your reminder emails. They're not going to get your phone call when you're trying to reach out to them. So what I suggest doing is you switch it to the high intent button. So it's just when you're setting up your form that actually gives them a review screen in between when they submit and when they actually finish the form. So if it is wrong, they actually have the opportunity to go back and change it. Otherwise, they're just not really thinking about it. Wow. And then the next thing I would suggest is actually adding more questions. Of course, it's probably going to reduce the number of people you have sign up. But I have always asked at least five questions on these forms. And the quality of the people who do show up is really great. 
So definitely test it both ways, but ask a few additional questions. Like we've always asked, you know, if it's uh, some type of service-based thing, how soon are you thinking of getting started? Or tell us about the specific project you're doing. You know, getting them to actually type something in, I think it just solidifies something in their mind. It makes them very aware of what they're signing up for. And you definitely do see the quality go up. So whether it's for an event or for just trying to generate leads with lead forms, I would always prefer to go with the high intent unless you just have a killer sales team that's willing to just, you know, call as many times as is necessary. But that would definitely be my suggestion. Allie, we could go on for a lot, lot longer, but we have reached the end of this interview and you are awesome. Can you tell everyone where they can discover more about you if they want to reach out somehow? Yeah, absolutely. And I would love to connect with all of you. So I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on LinkedIn, and typically it's going to be at Allie Bloyd Media. Uh, my name is Allie Bloyd. There's not a lot of other people out there with that name, honestly. So it's pretty easy to find me on social. If you would like to visit my website at AllieBloydMedia.com forward slash SME for social media examiner. I put together some really great resources for you guys, like my Facebook ads, ultimate jumpstart pack that comes with like nine different checklists about all the things you want to prepare while you're putting together your campaigns and just some information on if you want to work with me or my agency. So I'd love for you to check it out. It's AllieBloydMedia.com forward slash SME. Allie, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your wisdom this week. Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. By the way, if there's anything we mentioned in today's interview and you missed it, the notes are at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 372. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.